Now, hear the good news and be not afraid. Good morning. Welcome to Be Not Afraid, Iowa Catholic Radio. Father P.J., good morning. Good morning, Father. Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grant, we pray, Almighty God, that always pondering spiritual things we may carry out in both word and deed that which is pleasing to you. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever, and the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's very interesting our calendar. So probably we're talking about a new saint, Mardi Gras. Yeah, St. Mardi Gras. St. <laughs> Mardi Gras, scheduled for, for this year, for the, 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 the 21st of February. So first of all, let's talk about this tradition. Mm-hmm. Why? Right. So, so the, the calendar, I, I don't think it's possible in some ways to talk about this without recognizing that there are some um, kind of gaps in the way the calendar is done now, which can make this maybe harder to understand than... Uh, than it would have been in the past, and that, peop- that as the results, or, or at least concurrent with the calendar issues, just people's practice has shifted. Okay. And so that makes it hard to figure out what's going on. So most people, um, sort of Anglophone people in, in the Midwest, if you say Mardi Gras, um, the first thing they're going to think is like New Orleans, and the second thing they're going to think is shouldn't be happening on Catholic radio. <laughs> Right. And that is not the that's not the idea. First of all, uh, I I love New Orleans and I try and get down to New Orleans sometime during the season every year. Okay, just because uh, if you know the right places to go and and what to do, there's nothing untoward about this at all. And in fact, it's a deeply Catholic celebration like this is as rooted in the faith as it can be. But it's because the period, especially between uh, the presentation of the Lord. So on February the Uh 2nd and whenever Lent begins which for us is this Wednesday, but of course that varies somewhat year to year. This coming uh, Wednesday. Right. Um, is, 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 is a special time of celebration and indulgence. So, so, so carnival literally means goodbye meat. Goodbye meat, correct. <laughs> right? So it's saying farewell to the meat. Um, and it's because of Lent approaching that, that you know, you're going to take Lent really, really seriously. But if you're going to take Lent really, really seriously, you need to mark kind of the difference by not only making sure you have all the meat cleared out of your larder, but that but that you're that you're living different. The penitential season only makes sense if there's a time when you're not doing penance, um, and that's the season that we're in right now. Father, you used an, an, a very interesting word, indulgence. Mm-hmm. Indulgence is very interesting in the context of our theological vocabulary. Mm-hmm. The meaning of the word indulgence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I use that word on purpose. Yeah, um, and and and, <laughs> and that's because so, so so indulgence gets used in the ordinary secular sense. Uh, in the sense of sort of like savoring something or delighting in something, right? Um, I, you know, I indulged myself in a hot bath last night or something like that, right? Correct. Something I, I, I don't strictly need, but would enjoy a great deal were I to have it, right? Um, and at the same time, indulgences are part of our spiritual vocabulary because they're part of how the church um, uh, shares out the, the the collective merits of the saints so that we're all able to sort of lean on one another's holiness. And that's not an accident because both are free. What makes an indulgence what it is is that it's not necessary. And so it's entirely true. Like it, you can sustain a person and people live off feeding tubes all the time. So you can sustain a person's body without feeding them proper food. Um, but they wouldn't delight in anything, right? And so, and, and, and so it's coming to grips with the, the delightful character of what we eat and drink and do. What about the understanding about indulgence as a special pardon? 
and excuses, pardon, for the high level of the church, like pontifical indulgences, church indulgences that we have in our uh, calendar as well. You know? so, so indulgences are a remission of the punishment due to sin as a result of the merits of the saints. And, and, and it's that second part that often gets forgotten. This isn't just happening because the Pope woke up one day and scratched his nose and decided he was going to say something, right? Correct. It's that, it, it, it's that the collective holiness of the church, and this is often hard to see, especially in an age when the church's sins are so manifest, as in our time, but the collective holiness of the church for 2,000 years, 2,000 years worth of saints, named and unnamed, doing great penance and striving to great degrees of holiness, uh, um, has an effect on us. And we can sort of tap into that holiness, which not only frees us from the punishment due to particular sins, but should give us the space to grow in that kind of holiness ourselves. If I'm not weighed down by the burden of the punishment due to my sins, I can just focus on virtue, which is what I should have been doing to begin with. One of them is the porciunculas indulgences right, by uh, St. Francis of Assisi as well, you know? Yeah, so, 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 so all sorts of indulgences attached to places and persons and religious communities and, uh, and shrines. Um, and there are indulgences available every single day of the year. Having this period of time between uh, sort of when Christmas tide ends and when Lent begins, um, and, and that's really the issue, is the Feast of the Presentation used to mark the proper end of the Christmas season. Um, and, and, and that's why I say the calendar is a little bit hard to get now, because most people... Most people don't even wind up at church on the presentation unless it happens to fall on a Sunday. So the, so, so the feast often goes by sort of missed. People don't even know that it's happened. And so they don't realize there's been a, there's been a, a sort of temperamental change in the season. But the temperamental change is important if your Lenten fast is to really mean something. This is why I try and get to New Orleans this time of year, because I, I think it really is important. Like I... I'll be honest, I keep a pretty rigorous fasting schedule for myself. And, and, but, but the reason that I'm able to do that is because I have other periods where I really do. Like, I like this food. I like this drink. I, I like hearing good music. I, I, I like liking things. Sometimes I think in the spiritual life, we trick ourselves into thinking like that our goal is to not like things. I'm just supposed to like not want. And that's not the idea. The idea is to focus your want on the things that matter most. Important clarification, especially about the capital sin like gluttony, you mm -hmm. know, because it's sometimes misunderstanding this Mardi Gras, gluttony, quotation marks, versus as a preparation for the Ash Wednesday that implied fasting day. Yeah, I, th I think a way to get this is to kind of look at the end, right? So if you, if you have a child who gives up sweets for all of Lent, it doesn't do them any good to make themselves sick on Easter Sunday by eating too much chocolate. <laughs> Right. That would defeat the purpose. Correct. So instead, what you're trying to do is focus and direct your appetites, your desires in ways that actually work for you and not against you. So we fast and do penance for particular periods in order to focus ourselves to make room, as it were, inside our souls for more grace to come in at the time of the feast. We celebrate. We do indulge. We celebrate with food and drink and sound and song and dance and clothes and all the rest of it to mark out the festive occasions from the from the less festive occasions and especially from the penitential occasions so that life has a natural pattern of waxing and waning. Most families get this intuitively, like birthdays and anniversaries matter differently than some random Tuesday matters. And that's good. Um, 
and 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 the own cycle of holidays that your family keeps. It's the same kind of pattern, but this is the pattern that the church keeps universally. And so it's important for we who are members of the church to share in it to the degree that we can. Iowa Catholic Radio, be not afraid. Peter Kreef calls envy the dumbest sin. Why? Well, think about it. Most sins make you feel good for at least a minute. Envy makes you feel instantly miserable. And most often, if someone suffers from envy or constant comparison, it's rooted in the lie that something is missing in you. When I was three years old, my parents asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I was shocked, dumbfounded. I looked at them like, what are you talking about? I said, I want to be a big one Christopher. In other words, I want to be me when I grow up, just bigger than I am now. <laughs> God doesn't want you to be somebody else. He wants you to be holy, which is to be fully you, fully alive. Not saint someone else, but saint insert your name here. He wants you to glorify him in the way that only you can for all eternity. Start learning to love and appreciate what he's given you and what he's calling unrepeatable you to do. It's enough. Send us a message at connect at reallifecatholic.com. This is Chris Stefanik from reallifecatholic.com. Welcome back to Be Not Afraid, Iowa Catholic Radio. So at the same time, Father, this week will be a start Lent season. Obviously after our uh, pseudo-gluttony day. <laughs> pseudo-gluttony day to say that. But also, Ash Wednesday is a very remarkable day for our faith. Mm -hmm. It's the beginning of the time of repentance, penance as well. Where are these ashes coming from? So the ashes are, are the remains of last year's palms from Palm Sunday. Okay. Um, uh, the palms are themselves a sacramental, right? Because they're used in the church's worship. So the right way to dispose of them would be to, to, to burn them and bury ashes anyway. But we use the ashes as a mark of our own penitence. Um, and, uh, and, and this tradition is old. It goes all the way back uh, to the Old Testament where you would, you would sit in, in ash and cover yourself in sackcloth in order to show that you were repenting of your sins. Well, we're just following the biblical tradition by doing the very same thing. Somebody asking me recently, I mean, recently, no, during the, the Ash Wednesday celebration itself, why the sign of the cross in the forehead? So, so I, I mean, I understand the tradition, but people say, why is must be in the forehead? Yeah, so... So there's, it's kind of the, the uh, confluence of several different traditions. Okay. So the cross on the forehead is, in the church's kind of time frame, actually relatively new, only the last several hundred years, whereas the use of the ashes is much older, right? Okay. So many of our, our listeners will remember that during COVID, um, most places did not impose ashes on the forehead. They rather sprinkled them over the top of the head. Correct. Correct. And that's the older tradition. Now, once upon a time, that sprinkling was probably much more significant than what we get now. Like, like your face would actually get kind of ashy, <laughs> um, which was which was the goal. And there were actually w once upon a time, there were special vestments that were designed that way specifically. So the priest wouldn't like destroy a nice set of vestments with all this ash. Um, so they were like almost like sackcloth um, uh, vestments. Um, that that are still in use, um, like in the ordinariate or in some English churches. Um, but the but the cross on the forehead, right, is because when a Christian is initiated, whether as an infant or as an adult, the, the first thing that happens is the cross is imposed on their forehead. In the baptisms, in the, in the rite wow. of baptism, um, and and for catechumens, adult catechumens, right, in the in the in the process before um, the first thing that happens that first day that they're accepted into the order of catechumens, the sign of the cross is imposed on their forehead. And the idea would be. 
That's going to happen again and again and again throughout the course of a life. And the very last thing that's usually done at the vigil service the night before a funeral is the sign of the cross imposed on that person's forehead one last time uh, before the, the, the casket is closed. So the sign of the cross on the forehead, that goes all the way back. Probably that's the original sign of the cross. Like the whole body thing we get later. Correct. It probably derives originally from simply tracing it on one's forehead and on one's heart. But the... Um, but the use of the ashes with it is what's is what's new, is what's relatively new in church world. But it's, beautiful, it's beautiful how you explain that because back to the sacrament of baptism, right? That the first one also anointed of the sick. Mm-hmm. The anointing of the sick must be in the forehead, and then the ashes as well. Well, see, this is this is also an example of where, um, like, even even the church being governed by committee can sometimes kind of get in its own way. So, uh, of course, th- there was a, a great uh, deal of emphasis at the time around Vatican II, e- even before to a certain degree, to change the language around uh, the, the, the anointing of the sick to anointing of the sick from extreme unction or last anointing. But the reason it was called last anointing was because it followed several other anointings, primarily the anointings associated with baptism and then the anointing that takes place at confirmation. And then, of course, for some of us, there are anointings at, at ordination as well, right? Right. Um, but the idea was that this would be the last anointing. Like, you've been anointed your whole life. This is the last one to prepare you for death. Well, at the same time, so at the same time, they uh, create these committees to produce what we now think of as RCIA or OCIA, the, the, the Christian Initiation of Adults. They have other people working on, um, on, on the sacrament of anointing. The sacrament of anointing before the reforms of the council involved the the signing uh, w- with oil, not only on the forehead, but on all the senses. And the reason for that was because in the ancient catechumenate, you were anointed on all of your senses. So, 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 so they were meant to parallel each other. And for reasons that, to be honest, I don't totally understand. I'm not sure anybody does. Uh, <laughs> this is somebody's future doctoral project. The group that was working on revising anointing of the sick didn't talk to the people that were working on Christian initiation. And so they got published separately. So weirdly, the signing on the senses was removed from the from the right of anointing of the sick at the same time that it was now made public in front of everybody at Sunday masses for our for our adult catechumens. Um, But they're really meant to be of a piece. Right. These are these are trying to show the church is trying to show. By imposing the sign of the cross on our head, which is kind of the seat of knowledge, and then on the different parts of our body, that all of us belongs to Christ, not just some part. Approaching this uh, moment to receive the ashes also demand from ourselves and total unconditional humility to God's presence, you know, because finally we are God's creation. But at the same time, this is a calling that at the end of our life, it's only our soul that prays God. Yeah, we, we have a great capacity for self-deception. And so um, a lot of Americans especially are real weak on Lent, and they do kind of fake Lent. Like most of what happens could barely be called Lent. You know, I'm not going to give something up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a devotional every day. Yeah, tell that, tell that to Cyril and Methodius. <laughs> tell that to any church father. Yeah, I'm too good for fasting, man. Like, that's good for you because, like, you're real weak and can't discipline yourself. But I'm all put together. It's like you couldn't hang your hat on it. Never mind your soul. Right. Like, you are really screwed up. If you are listening to me. Right. You, you, you are a desperately messed up person. You are in need of conversion. 
There are things about your life that need fixed. There's not one of us that doesn't. I'm not holding myself as, a, as an example contrary. I, I need this too, right? So I need to fast. I need to do penance because I'm a mess. You think I'm a mess now? Look out for what happens when I lose all discipline and can't control myself anymore, right? And so, and, and so the church asks us annually to devote special time, six weeks, to really taking this stuff seriously in the hope that we'd cultivate habits that could be sustained throughout the whole year. So the goal isn't just to say, I didn't eat sweets for six weeks. It's to say, I could say no to myself for six weeks. How might I be able to say no to myself more regularly moving forward? Iowa Catholic Radio, be not afraid. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio is provided by Knights of Columbus, Borman, and Pfeiffer Agencies, serving Catholic families in Iowa, offering life insurance, long-term care insurance, disability insurance, and retirement annuities. The Knights of Columbus is a fraternal benefit society able to provide financial security to members and their families. Learn how Knights of Columbus agent Justin Wadley can help. 563-689-6801. 563-689-6801 or org. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio is provided by the Sarah Vocations Ministry, including the St. Sarah Club of Des Moines and the Sarah Club of Council Bluffs. Sarah is an apostolate of the Worldwide Catholic Church dedicated to fostering and supporting priesthood and religious vocations. Sarans strive to accomplish their mission through prayer, fellowship, and service to the bishop, priests, sisters, and all in religious formation, and in doing so to increase their own holiness. Learn more at joinsarah.org, joinserra.org. Thank you, Sarans, for your support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Welcome back to Be Not Afraid, Iowa Catholic Radio. At the end of the previous segment, you described the necessity about conversion. And the word conversion sometimes is misunderstanding, you know, because conversion could be an elastic, according to my, my intentions, versus my actions to convert my life as well. So in this context, in preparation for the Lent season, Using this Ash Wednesday, what will be the best way to approach conversion my life? I think the first thing to understand is that human beings are, are a great contradiction. We are at once creatures of terrific habit, yeah. right? I, my, my morning routine, I can do half awake and it always looks exactly the same. I get up, I brush my teeth, I shave, I shower, I, and it's all in the same order. And you can do it kind of half awake, right? Mm-hmm. At the same time, if I get in a real tight spot, I swear up and down truth is important to me. But if I get pushed too hard, I'm probably going to lie. <laughs> Simple oh, to say that. Most people do, right? Simple to say and that. So, and, 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 and so I, I am both a creature of terrific habit and of great inconsistency because I'm weak-willed, right? Um, and I'm not alone in this. This is pretty much everybody. So Part of the, the human being. So the church understanding this, first of all, tries to help us cultivate good habits, virtues, and get rid of bad habits, vices. But the way that this this takes shape, especially in light of our inconsistency, is that there are times that we have to periodically exert more energy or more intentionality in the direction of either putting off bad habits or putting on good ones. And that's what periods like Lent and Advent are designed to do, is to help us focus our attention so that preceding the greatest feasts of the church here, we would, we would uh, be best disposed to receive the grace that God has in mind for us. And Matthew, for this 
I mean, uh, this this Sunday shows us a very interesting piece in Ma Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 48. Yeah, so, so, so this is the, the, the series that are known as the Great Contraries, right? So we're still in, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount, but, but Jesus starts flipping things, and so it's important to hear how he does this. So Jesus said to his disciples, You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, offer no resistance to one who is evil. When someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other one as well. If anyone wants to go to law with you over your tunic and over your cloak as well, should anyone press you into service for one mile, go for two. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn your back on the one who wants to borrow. So what Jesus does here is he's operating uh, on a series of declarations from Moses, right? Um, and, uh, and, and he says, Moses said, but I say to you, and, and we have to understand as we, as we hear this listeners, right? Jesus is sitting on top of the mountain. The people are standing beneath him and he's teaching like Moses. He's acting like Moses. Mm -hmm. he's, he's literally seated in the way Moses was when he gave the law. And, but what he's saying instead is, well, Moses said, don't kill people. I say that's not good enough. Also, you can't be a jerk. That kills people's souls, right? Moses said, don't, um, don't commit adultery. That's not good enough. Don't lust after people that aren't your spouse. Like, so, 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 so what he's saying is the law was basically a series of negations. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this because those things are sins. But, in, but instead, what I'm saying is do this. Don't just not be lusty. Be pure of heart. Don't just not be killy. Be, be peacemaking, right? Correct. Um, and, and, and that's what this time is really devoted to, right? Is, is to helping us cultivate the spirit of the Beatitudes, those dispositions proper to the citizens of heaven. Very interesting line to follow up about conversion. You know, I identified in my life those kind of weaknesses that I need to improve and change. Mm -hmm. And Lent is the proper time that helped me, not only for this period of uh, of penance, may I say that, as you disclosed that previously, but at the same time for my life, for my consistent life in, as a Christian people of God. So conversion at the root, right, literally just means to turn around. And, and, and this is where this inconsistency inside our character is so important. So of course it's true that most of us will have one or maybe a few kind of pivotal moments of conversion especially earlier on in our Christian life when we make a, a meaningful decision for Christ, whether that happens as an adult or whether it sort of happens naturally as, as we grow into adulthood. I know that for most priests and religious, um, this, the story of their vocation is really importantly the story of conversion, right? It, it, it's the story of how they slowly are turning more and more to the face of the Lord. Well, the same thing's true for all of us. And, and what this period of time is intended to get us to do is to turn around now, if we're already, if you're doing Lent, you're clearly convinced enough of Jesus that you're having something to do with this churchy thing anyway, right? But there are inconsistencies in all of our characters, you know, uh, little uh, peccadilloes that we allow ourselves to, to, to maintain or, or, or kind of spiritual side hustles that we often engage in that we know aren't good for us. And this is the time to try and set that stuff in order. From the church pep perspective, what will be the best manner to fasting? I know about food, but what about people that had been certain digestible? Problems? The whole the whole move, and this is where people get the fasting thing wrong, the whole move is learning to be able to say no to yourself. 
your will is practically infinite. It wants all the things. And that's important. We're designed that way because the thing that we really want most is the infinite. It's God himself. So, so, but that's the reason when I start eating the Pringles, I can't stop till I'm done with the can. Because if one Pringle is good, two's better, and three's better still, and I, I, they're so good, they're so good, they're so good, right? Well, the problem is, a Pringle probably isn't a sin. The whole can of Pringles is probably a sin, at least all in one sitting, right? And so, and, and so we need to learn to say no to ourselves. If we have particular dietary or other health conditions that don't allow us to say no to food absolutely or to particular types of food or we don't want our blood sugar spiking, or fine, that's, you know your body. I'm not trying to tell you what to do with that. But there is not, there is not one person even in a very debilitated state who doesn't have the ability to willingly say no to themselves just because they can. Wow. And to prove to ourselves that we can gives us the freedom and the elasticity to say no when we need to, that is to say no to sin. We are ending this program, Father, and could you please send us with a blessing in preparation for this coming Lent season? May the Lord of all holiness continue to draw to you to himself through acts of fasting and penance and works of great charity. And may the peace and blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down upon you, remain with you forever. Amen. Iowa Catholic Radio, be not afraid. Be not afraid. Jesus is on the way to encounter you. Go forward. And be not afraid.